everybody. Welcome to Cloud of Compass Podcast. This is Lori Smith, your host. You want to know more about me? Do you want to work with me? Do you like what I have to say? Um, do you want to write me hate mail? Check me out on social media. I'm at Cloud of Compass 2021 on TikTok and Cloud of Compass 2021 on Instagram. I started this podcast because I wanted to share my knowledge, skills, and experience as an LMSW of 20 years. I am a survivor of help that harmed. I have had mental health issues. My ACEs score is high. I've had a history of trauma, but I also have some professional skills, knowledge, and experience that you might benefit from. I have been a certified diabetes educator for 10 years. I have worked in um, doctor's offices as a care manager with chronic health issues. I am certified. um, I'm a certified anxiety treatment provider, certified um, trauma provider. Provider, certified in compassion fatigue, addiction-informed mental health, and most recently a human rights consultant. I am the author of the book Life Hacks with Life Hacks, Tips and Tricks for Accessing Your Inner Resilience. I am the owner of Resilience Coach, which is an outpatient behavioral health therapy. And most recently, I am the owner of Cloud of Compass Coaching Consulting, um, which is part of this podcast. I have courses in um, recovery-oriented material, uh, neurodivergent um, information coming in. So I have courses, I have webinars, I have um, guests on my podcast, I have merchandise coming out soon. I have a link tree on my social media where you can access all of these things. I'd love for you to learn more about me. Love to you to for you to see if we are a good fit for working together. And in the month of December, I am hosting a half-off special of my of my signature course um, because I want to share this information with the world. It is a six-week course with 12 sessions, um, 12 videos of me. Um, again, I'm a little neurodivergent, so it's a little, um, it's not what you're going to expect from a course on transformation, but it is useful information. It is what I have found practical in my practice. It has the 12 video sessions, but it also has 200 page workbook of tools for self-regulation. And we teach how to uncover your own innate skill set. This is why I called my company Clouded Compass, because there are things that we have not been pointed towards. And once we align with our internal assets, our life becomes um, a little bit uh, uh, um, we become empowered, period. So check me out. Check me out on all my social media. Please leave comments. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear you, um, see you join my course. And please leave comments about the podcast too. I'd love to know what your favorite um, podcasts are, which ones you think really suck. And let's build community together. Let's educate, empower, and evolve. And let's uncover your own innate assets. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Cloud of Compass Podcast. This is Lori Smith. I am so excited today to have a guest on here that I have known for a couple of years now. She's right around the corner from me in my own uh, town where I live. Um, Valerie Kelly Bonner. Is, yes. And she is a, she's a gem that not a lot of people know about, but she started this organization called SOAR, um, S-O-A-R-R. S-O-O-A-R. I get it wrong every time. S-O-O-A-R, which means? Strategies to overcome obstacles and avoid recidivism. So we're going to talk about what that means and why, but she um, is right here in the town of Belleville. She's been doing, she's a strategy consultant as well, correct? Yes. You are an entrepreneur, serial. Yes. Entrepreneur. You're on tons of board of directors. Yes. (laughs) You are um, a woman about town, like you are just so in everything. So um, tell us a little bit about SOAR in this community of Belleville and what it's about, what you offer and who it serves. So strategies to overcome obstacles and avoid recidivism started as an inmate reentry program. It was one of the program offerings among many that I had. And while aggregating the data, the inmate said, hey, if I had someone around like you in the fifth grade, I wouldn't be in prison. And that's what made me rethink things like, wow, I'm really not doing prevention then because I'm not preventing anything if I'm starting after the problem 
has began. And so that made me go back and start programs in schools. And Belleville was the first area I went to when they had the alternative school. And I started a program there. Later on, I got blackballed and banned because I told them that was ridiculous for them to have a separate alternative school with trailers. And they have this other school. So my kids and I made a, a film about it. Ooh. And um, they integrated the kids back into Belleville High School when I got blackballed for a few years. I don't care. But that's sort of how that went. We made a film called Alternative and they did parodies of different versions. Like, yeah, when I grow up, I just want to have five baby daddies and smoke. You know, that's all yeah. I want to do, you know, because that's what they felt the district was depicting right. them as throwaways with no goals and those kids were very very smart they just had a lot of aces a lot of trauma and needed someone to love on them for their healing yeah so that is how I started doing prevention work more than 25 years ago 25 years ago and we didn't even know about aces then but like as you're speaking aces um, adverse childhood experiences kids are going to school and they don't they, it's not that they don't have the resources. Nobody has shown them how to use their own resources, which they very well have, but they just get swept under the rug by teachers who are too busy, schools that, you know, are worrying about if you're going to pay for lunch or not. And these kids don't have a lot of things at home already. So when you go in and work with these children, what types of things are they doing? So um, in order, our funder requires that we use programs that are on the National Registry of Evidence-Based okay. Prevention Programs through SAMHSA. Okay. The problem with that, that's great, you know, um, if they want to try to have a baseline measurement, but the problem with that is it really does not meet the needs of the kids in Inkster mm -hmm. um, and, and other areas where children have the same type of problems, uh, a parent incarcerated, um, we had a guy who was just riding in a car with a cousin and a car was stolen and got in a high-speed chase. This was just last week. Um, this same family, one of the brothers saw his uncle get shot in the head and killed at the, mm. the liquor store. So SAMHSA really is not targeting these type of kids until they get into the criminal injustice system yes. and then they're still not helping them right? They just Absolutely. pay a little bit more attention to what's going on in their lives. So we do the evidence-based program portion of it, but then we do problem ID and referral. What's really going on with you and your family? How can we wrap around if you need food? We try to find food. If you need coats, you know, whatever it is, if we feel like a kid has some behavior issues or mental health issues, we communicate that to the parent and try to be supportive. Like I'm actually going to court with this child. Wow. Um, and we do that. We go to parent teacher conference, whatever that mother, father, or family needs, we try to be there and wrap around and support them. So this is, I'm like envisioning there's a school which does whatever school does. There's the foster care system and the ACE, um, not foster care, child protective services, which yes. as we know, do a lot of oversight but they don't do a lot of support. So you're kind of an interim to, to actually kind of prevent those things from happening, it sounds like, in the child's life. Yes, yes, that's exactly what we do. We have insight. You're right. A lot of people have oversight. We have insight, <laughs> Yes. right? And we want to know what's going on with the kid. They're our family. Anyone that participates in a program at SOAR, we love on them like family whether it is our prevention program with the youth, whether it's our newly um, started HIV program or our harm reduction program, which we're into our second year of that, wow. they're our family. Um, people want to know that you care about them. Yeah. And they are, and even including our babies, are so uncomfortable in the beginning because they have this white coat trauma where they've been into the doctor's office, the dentist's office, and all of these other places where they're supposed to be helped. Right. And they're harmed. 
So as a result of that, there is no trust. There's trauma and drama. (laughs) Drama and trauma. I love it. They go together. It's, I love, I I just get goosebumps because um, you're right. We are conditioned to think if we go to this agency, they're supposed to help us because they tell us they're supposed to help us. But as we know, uh, largely high percentage of BIPOC children end up in the foster care system or um, without services, not through any fault of their own. So this is, belonging is so important to a human being to have a child have an experience of that, no matter where it's at, but you provide that. That that That's the prevention. Like they can still do whatever they're going to do in life, but they've belonged somewhere at some point. And that is, it produces miracles. Like, um, I'm going to rail so myself we go in there. Back. We, we go back. So Inkster is my hometown. Yes. And um, growing up, my mother used to tell me, when you graduate, you get as far away from here as you possibly can. Mm. You know, not that because she knew the world had so much more to offer, not that she felt so disgusted because she still lives there. Right. So she could have easily moved. It wasn't about that. It was about her wanting the best what the world had to offer to her child. Yeah, this isn't all there is. And so I did that. Um, I've been as far as China and worked, you know, I've, I've done a lot of things, but then I had one of the mothers from Inkster to say, wow, you, you've done some dynamic things. Our kids really need to see someone like you. Beyonce is not their role model. They don't have access to Beyonce, right? but we need them to have access to someone who is doing just as good that they can have access to. Yes. And to see it's home. possible and real. Yeah. And they said, you should come home and do services. So that's how I got there. So then I used that same theory and I went back. I remember the little dope boys who ran dope and sold cocaine. One of them started at eight years old running dope. He was the lookout boy for the rest of the people Mm -hmm. on the block in the same community where our program is. And now he's grown, has kids of his own. His life has changed, but he comes back and we talk about that. You know, like this is not what you want. See what it has done to this gentleman in his life. He had to wait until he got older to turn his life around. So we bring real people back. That's from the Denby Project. Wonderful. To say, you, this is not what you want. Yeah. And Let's show you how to get money another way. You can do skilled trades, you know, keep that yes. hustle, yes. but get a new hustle. Yep, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, it's not, yeah, uh, I could go so many things. I actually came across you, which I can't even believe you've been in my community right around the corner from me. And I didn't even know, which is my own ignorance, but I was at a prison rally with Trisha and I don't know how your name got into it, but I was like, what? Right around the corner. And so this is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I, for reasons that I did not choose, um, am not in prison, but I very well could be. And I don't have children, but I very well could have and I can't imagine growing up. I grew up in a rural town. There were not resources for different reasons, but I can't imagine growing up, you know, facing threats every day and just not having, I, I know that I haven't had grounding my whole life, but when you don't have grounding growing up, you, it, it, you just lose the urgency of life somehow. It, life becomes something that you don't really want to engage in. And so to give somebody hope or to give a young child a sense of belonging and community to have them come back and to have them see some success and to have them like actually dare to consider that this might be possible too. Honestly, there's no better gift in the world that you could give a child, I think. So I, I am grateful that you do the work that you do, but I also came across you because we, I do a lot of harm reduction and, you know, we're talking about children that are, we are talking about children that are stigmatized. We might not have been saying that, but we, I work with populations who've been stigmatized their whole life and they use substances to, for a number of reasons, but you have a harm reduction program. So can you tell us about that a little bit? So the harm reduction program, it was interesting because um, Ashley Shukite, who is a phenomenal harm reductionist and has been doing it for years, had had a conversation with me about harm reduction 
um, several years ago. And all I could envision, I don't know if you saw the movie Friday with Big Worm had the ice cream truck and he would pull up in the neighborhood like, what you need? Because he would have ice cream, but he would also have weed, right? So I'm like, oh, are we going to be throwing needles out of the car like the Mardi Gras or something? So <laughs> I had this very distorted, uneducated perspective <laughs> of what that was. And I said, you know, I don't know if I am the one to do that. I mean, it sounds good and everything, but I don't know if I'm I'm the one to do that. But I'm also a very spiritual person. Mm. And I told her at that time, I said, well, the only way I'll do it is if the state directly asks me to do it. I'm not going through Detroit Wayne or anybody else anymore. That's the only way I'll do this. And then I left it alone. A couple of years went by and the state called. Oh my God. And they said, we heard that you could get these ordinances changed and we want to partner with you. I said, what? And they were like, yeah, someone at Detroit Wayne told us that if you want to get ordinance changed, then this is the person you should go to because they did not have any syringe service programs operating legally outside of the city of Detroit. We were okay. the first to do it. And so I said, okay, they were like, well, we want looking at Northville, Nova. I said, nope, because when crack was a problem, you let my people die. You yeah. didn't come up with an antidote. There was no Narcan or any other thing to save my people when they were dying from crack. So if you want someone to get on your white horse and go to your white communities and be your white savior, you're not using my black ass because I'm Good. not Good. But they were like, well, hold on, hold on. No, we just want to work with you. So, you know, because I'm very upfront in everything that I do. Yep. I'm not sharecropping. You yeah, know, but like, it's also no. social justice. Like, why are exactly. we, yeah, exactly. Why are we going to the most elite communities when there are communities literally dying every day, people in there, you know, come on. And so I refused unless they let me do it the way that I wanted to do it. So I said, I'll go home first. So I talked to the mayor, talked to the city council, and they were like, okay, let's do it. So in 30 days, we were done, and it blew them away like 30 days. I said, yep, I need you to get on this Zoom call on this day. Wow. We're going to have the first read of the ordinance and then the second read, and, and it went through. Next stop was Van Buren Township. We can operate in Van Buren Township. We got that ordinance changed. But the reason why I haven't started operating is because I want the entire, well, with the exception of Sumter, but I want the entire 48111 to be on board. And it's not that the chief or Mayor Conley is not on board in Belleville, it's getting them to settle down. Belleville has so much going on with getting a new DDA director, getting all of these other things going on okay. that are primary city business that I chose not to bring it to them until they had everything else under control. Okay. Part of strategy. Yeah. So it's like, because I'm on the DDA, I'm on the chamber and I interact with these people all the time. They know who I am and what I do, but I want them to really understand why I'm coming to them with this information. Right. I feel like they will, because if Van Buren Township signed on, why wouldn't they? And I have um, a judge. She cannot write a letter of support or whatever, but she is the judge over that jurisdiction. And she says she will come and sit beside me when I present to show oh, that bravo. she's supporting. And then also the new state rep, Reggie Miller, said she would come and sit okay. beside me and support. So that should be coming up soon. But when we that did that, <clears throat> we started I said, okay. And I thought that was the hard part, but it wasn't. Because yeah. when I started going to the churches in Inkster, I don't know exactly how many, but I know there has to be 30 okay. in a four or five square mile area is way too wow. many of the okay. same denomination. Like it's a lot of churches. Okay. And so I said, okay. You know, we got this little transit van, we put our logo on it, and we operated out of the back of the van, and we said we would call it Boots on the Ground. Mm -hmm. And so we went to talk to churches to say, hey, if we could just pull up in your parking lot and on this certain day and time and distribute our supplies and register our participants, they said no. Churches. Church. The place you go for help. The place where God is going to help you. Yeah, they said no. And the one church... The pastor is a social worker. 
what is the line of thinking? I, I can presume, but what is the line of thinking behind saying no to that? I feel because I know this pastor person on a personal level because his father was my pastor. Okay. He has a brother that is on heroin. Okay. And I think he looked at it from a personal lens of enabling and everything okay. because I think he's more focused on abstinence. I'm not sure because he didn't even have a meeting with us. He just emailed back and said, no, thank you. He never wow. sat down and had a conversation like, well, let me hear what this is about. This is so fascinating because even like you're literally, I mean, I don't want to like sugarcoat it, but you are really assisting the youth of your hometown and you're going in, they know your work, they know your experience and you're going in, you're legit, you, you are a seasoned professional and for a church to say no, still because of stigma is something that you didn't, you didn't tolerate either. So tell me what happened after that. Well, the gloves came off <laughs> and he got cussed out. Because it's like, I'm not trying to be all prissy with you. What the hell is wrong with you? Are you nuts? Yeah. You know, I was like, every miracle that Jesus performed started with a problem. Yes. He went to the well and saw the woman at the well. She didn't come prancing through his door at the church. Have you yes. walked around your building? Mm. It's needles in your parking lot. You're right next door to a place that does help people focus hope. Yeah. You're not from this town. So you walk around and people want to do the feel good prevention. Oh, right. well, we, we having a yard sale. Come and get your feet <laughs> you know, or whatever. And, yep. and I'm not saying that that's not needed. Sure. But there are Just many like it's not needed. It is needed in Novi, but it's needed other places. There's more important things right now. Exactly. And so I went to several churches. Some said, what's in it for me? Because when I say I'm partnering with the state of Michigan, they think we're rich. They only give us $50,000 at the time to do the program. And by the time you pay for insurance, yep. van, gas, That's you know, salary, supplies. And, and the interesting thing was out of that money, we couldn't buy syringes, but we were a syringe service program operating what? through the state of Michigan, but we couldn't buy syringes. It wasn't until maybe four weeks ago that they passed some legislation where we could buy syringes as supplies. Oh. We still can't buy pipes. Okay. Logistically, how does, how do you supply syringes if you can't buy them with the funding? So we partnered with the Red Project who got some funding outside of government funding okay. and they would supply us with syringes. And then I have a couple of friends who are well off and they were like, you know what? Here's $5,000, buy $5,000 oh, worth of syringes. And people started donating and stuff like that. And so we made it. We made it through those two things to get our supply of syringes. So um, it was through donations and external grants. We also got a $10,000 grant from the Comer Foundation. They're out of Chicago. Okay. And so they are, they are very harm reduction friendly. So awesome. we were surviving off of things like that. And I thank God for Ashley who could find those type of grants Yeah. and um, just kept us rolling. And so that's how we. Wow. Okay. So you. Also. If we get in trouble, if the police stop us, yes, the state's not going to do anything about that. So if we get caught in our van full of syringes in a city, and for some reason this they get involved, the police, the state does not provide any protection or anything for us. And so that's another reason why I'm operating the program like I'm operating it. It's like an underground railroad. I have to be it sure really that my staff is going through areas where I know they'll be okay. I know people in Romulus. That okay. was another, my hometown is split. When my parents broke up, my dad went back home to Romulus. So I know a lot of people in Romulus in position of power as well. So okay. I know if something happened with them driving through there, I have a leg to stand on. Van Buren Township is already came on board and then Inkster is on board. So it's just that little 
piece, right? Where they can go from Inkster and back, right? And we'll be okay, but they're not going. And now they gave us a letter to say they're partnering with us and and they took pride in being a part of of the first syringe service program outside of the city of Detroit and all of that. But when it comes to the legal stuff, they made it pretty clear they didn't just come right out you know I'm just in your face like so if I go to jail what you gonna do about it well um you know we don't right would certainly say that we're just I said no I need a letter to say that we're in partnership with this syringe service program blah 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 so I had them put it on letterhead like no we work together good for you so here's what I'm hearing like okay so you started a program for youth you have to use government mandated um, evidence-based programs, which don't address the needs of your children. So you created your own, then you did harm reduction and you've gotten grants to do, you know, the state because of your leadership knows who you are, wants to work with you, but they're not, they're not gonna allow you to get syringes and they're not gonna stop you from getting arrested and you plow through. Then you go over to the church who doesn't want you in their parking lot and you like literally give them a piece of your mind like, how do you keep going? This is, that's a, these systems are so messy. They are, but I know what my calling is. I was born for this type of thing. So what happened was when the church did that, that's when I I made the movie called A Sick Church Can't Save a Dying World. You sick, so you can't save nobody else. I told them I wouldn't even let my funeral procession ride past your damn church. So that's how disgusted I am with you I wouldn't have a dog's funeral at your church like I told him the truth I don't even want my funeral possession to ride past your church and the thing that okay so I want you to talk about the movie first because now you're a film producer director whatever you want to call it like I just like is there you cannot there's nothing you can't do in this world I love it but like um people go here for leadership for direction for guidance and what are you what is your experience why did you make this movie I made the movie because of two reasons. Number one, um, I didn't know my biological father growing up. I was born in the middle of the civil rights movement. Um, My mother got pregnant at 17. My father was 16. And so she was shooting rifles and protecting the property that my grandfather share propped to get. And they didn't know the value of it. No, no, no. In Alabama. Okay. In Sylacauga, Alabama, our outside of Birmingham. Wow. And so um, I do believe that is why I have so much fight in me as well. But that's also why I have anxiety because I know mm-hmm. my mother had a lot of anxiety in Backwoods, Alabama, with people being lynched and smelling skin, burnt skin yeah. on the way to school. Right. But as a result of that, um, I decided to take a stand. I'm not just going to take one for the team Mm -hmm. and I'm not just going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to say something. And if it's something in my power to do, I'm going to do something. The issue is that, and even when I worked in corporate America, I was a scientist at Park Davis, which became Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. I was an engineer at Ford Motor Company. I worked in their infrastructure security department and I always took a stand for everybody, but nobody gets behind you. Behind closed doors, they were like, yes, that's a great idea. And I love what you're doing, but nobody will stand up. Everything is so political um, and nobody would really take a stand. So therefore I felt myself being all alone. And so I had to come up with ways how I could still take on this fight but take it on by myself. It wasn't until I met Trisha that I had someone that would really stand, you know? And so we're getting a lot done as a team, but that's amazing. it came to me like, you know what? You're getting asked a lot to stand for certain things. I've turned a lot of things down. I have, it has to be in alignment with my morals, values, and my integrity for me to take a stand. People want to pay me to do stuff, to be their voice, to be their face. No, thank you. I, I don't want to do that. I'm doing what I feel comfortable doing um, because that's where my motivation comes from. Can't yes. stop, won't stop. If it is a part of my fiber and my being, that's what keeps me going. 
And then with so many requests coming, that's why I started filming. Like I can't be in all of these places, right? right. I used to fly around certain places. I worked in the Bahamas. Oh, wow. Oh my God. As far what? as China. I went to the Bahamas, worked on an HIV project. I had started a charter school in Ypsilanti and ran it for 17 years. They wanted to know how wow. I infused certain languages and other things in the school. So they sent for me to go to China. I've been a lot of places. Wow. And I said, you know what? I don't want to do it that way anymore. So I'm going to start creating films. And okay. when I say I, Trisha and I with an iPhone and an iPad. Oh my God. Called A Sick Church Can't Save a Dying World. And it's the story of my brother, who is a pastor's son. My real father is a pastor, but I didn't meet him until I was 30 years old. And when I met him, I had five other siblings, the six of us. And at the time, Kenny was incarcerated because he had a crack addiction. He had HIV, he found out when he was being released from prison and he was schizophrenic. Mm. And so when he came out of prison, that's when he was diagnosed with HIV, he was very sick. But I never got a chance to see him. I was back in Detroit and just didn't connect like, oh, okay, you're sick. I'm so sorry. But there was no connection because we didn't grow up together, you know, right. or anything. So I didn't know him like that, nor my father. So it was like, okay, I have a little empathy, but you know, yeah. I'm living my life here in Michigan. Right. He died. Okay. And so I said, okay. Um, this will be a good time for me to go and meet the rest of my family that I have not met. But I actually do not put my name on the obituary or anything like that because people are ignorant. And at that time, I didn't have a filter. It may seem like I don't have one now, but I really <laughs> didn't have one then. And so I'm like, I don't want people trying to say, oh, I guess she do look like him a little bit and trying oh, to match geez. up features and stuff, you know. And I only know Pastor Jones to have six kids and it say seven on here. Who's the other kid, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I was like, look, don't put my name on the obituary because I'm not playing with your little church friends, your relatives, none of that. I just want to come, say goodbye to my brother, hello and goodbye to my brother, basically, right. and meet the rest of my family. But when I got there, the casket was in the vestibule and not up in front of the church. And I thought that was very strange. And so I'm like, oh, wow. Well, I didn't know it because you had to walk upstairs to get to the sanctuary. So we were on the stairs for a very long time. And I'm like, why are we standing here? I chose to be at the back of the line, but I'm maybe about the 14th person. You know, it's all of my siblings right. and their children, but we should still be moving swiftly to go sit down. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm expecting in my nice heels that I had on. <laughs> Well, when we got to the top, my brother was in the vestibule. And I said, wow, this is strange. My mother said my father was strange. He's very strange. Like, this <laughs> is very strange, right? But I said nothing. Right. Took my seat. And when my father started to eulogize my brother, he explained that my brother was very sick, uh, schizophrenic, and had HIV. And he wanted to be close to my father and as closest to his spiritual belief as possible. But you made it impossible for him to come inside of the church and sit. One lady was like, oh, don't touch me. Don't hug me. You got that stuff. Like he had a knife or a gun and was going to rob her. Um, and we're talking 30 years ago, yep. right? And so my father said, I would have to look in the pulpit and see my son come into the church 15 minutes after church start and sit in the vestibule. And then he would leave 15 minutes before church ended so that he wouldn't have to face any of you. So if he didn't want to come into the church alive, I didn't bring him in here dead. And that's why he's outside. Wow. And it was a very, you could hear a gasp like, oh. a moment was, of responsibility for the whole church. So... Yeah, but that lit a fire in me. I'm like, what? They did what? You know, whatever. So now I'm pissed off and I'm mad. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and I had a conversation with my father, like, you should have stood up. You didn't stand up for me. My mother just took me and you didn't try to fight. 
or nothing. I'm like, how can you be a leader? You just weak. You know, I started just going off on him and he took accountability and was like, you're right, Valerie, you're strong. Like your mother, you're not like me. And he said, if I would have been a part of your upbringing, I don't think you would be who you are. Mm -hmm. I feel like I failed the rest of my children by being too much of an enabler and stuff like that. You are different from all the rest of my children. And I think that's because I was not in your life. And this was probably by God's design. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, I can dig it. I didn't go without anything. My stepfather jumped in at two years old and took care of me until he died a couple of years ago. Uh So I'm not really tripping about that. But when the state came to me and I had that problem with the church, I prayed about it and I woke up and it was so clear, Valerie, I know they don't care. That's why I called you to care. And that's when Called to Care Ministries birth. Okay. Now, when we do our harm reduction program, the first hour is secular. We play music and we dance and hustle and people awesome. come to their supplies. But then at that five o'clock hour, it turns secular. We do praise and worship. We pray. And those who want to be in connection with their spiritual side can come and get prayer and still get their supplies. And they okay. can come. We have some, a few video clips, not many, because we don't yes. want to exploit people, but they were all right with it. Okay. All of us just praising and talking about the love of Jesus Christ and how he loves them. You are not forgotten and all of that. And they enjoy it. So we're going to take that to a new level this year and have some bigger tent harm reduction, call to care ministry, church services where they still get their supplies when they leave. Can I like, I know this is done in other places, but this is a brilliant idea. Well, I don't know if it's done or not, but it's gotta be, but like, this is, this is a brilliant idea because I'm, I can't wait to watch the movie. I know you're going to have some, some showings on it, but what I'm hearing from you is that the church is either not equipped, don't want to, or don't understand these illnesses, mental health and substance use enough to to counsel people on them but at the same time they're promising salvation yeah and and that's the interesting part and we have a pastor pastor john duckworth who believes in everything that we do he's in westland okay and the part of westland that butts up against inkster i don't know how we got that westland and then another westland miles away and I, i have no idea how that occurred but he believes in harm reduction. We have gone in and trained all of his staff on suicide prevention. Oh, we that's have trained them at, to be peer recovery coaches with our harm reduction infused in it. Like he gets it. And yeah. he is in the film talking about Great. like what the church's responsibility is. And like, you know, some of you don't even want to come out of your pool pits, but you know, Jesus Christ didn't say, yo, if I stay, he said, yo, if I go. Mm-hmm. And so he went among the people. So there are a few people that get it and there are a lot of them that don't. And so that's why we are trying to take this film, particularly in churches. This is our third church. Okay. And let people watch it so they can try to change their perspective. But I am going to do a showing at a theater. Um, I'm trying to find a place where we just have a big showing. And then after that, it will be released on television, on TV 38. Oh, awesome. So I'm just doing it this way because I want the individual churches so we can have the talk back. And I want to look at their responses and I want to talk to them and have a conversation with them. And that's why we're doing this tour in places such as this. Um, I would love to show it to a group of AA people because I just feel like... I have my feelings about yes. people, organizations, and entities who are spiritually based. Mm-hmm. I have concerns about that methodology because it does work for some people, but yes. others, it does not. You know, and, and I don't like the bandwagoners. Like I've been a trainer for CCAR and doing peer recovery coaching. This would be my last year because now they're monetizing it a lot more than they already did. They want us to pay all of this money and do all of this free stuff in order to continue to be a trainer. No, thank you. 
And then on top of that, they never talked one time about harm reduction or anything in this program. And now they're doing harm reduction because they want to continue to maintain their monopoly in my opinion, because states are like, oh, well, you have to be CCAR certified. If you don't have the CCAR designation, then we won't accept you as a coach. And so now, since harm reduction has come so prevalent, they're jumped on that bandwagon and they got a harm reduction program. But no, thank you. I'll get my own sanction first before I do anything with anybody because I just don't like that that money train idea. And it may not be, but that's what it seems like to me. And and I I don't do it for the money. If so, $50,000 wasn't enough to do this program, we would have been quit. Well, and I think harm reduction is so um, under misunderstood for one, but I know Biden released a, a ton of money. And so everybody's on the gravy train. But harm reduction means many different things. But one thing it does not mean is I'm going to help you until you get abstinent. Like that is our perception of what it means. So can you help me conceptualize? Because um, the churches that I grew up in were, I mean, they spoke in tongues, they were very evangelical, and there's one way to heaven. And if, if, if you're not doing it this way, you're doing it wrong. So in AA, my experience was very much you're not going to be quote unquote saved unless you do it this way. And this is the only way. And so how do you like these, these, these um, jamborees, I don't even know what you call my call a jamboree that you're going to have a harm reduction. Here's your supplies. And then we're going to go celebrate the idea that you could have more of a life than what you're having right now. But like, how do you, how does the church part of that welcome and embrace harm reduction as a in like what am I trying to say all roads lead to spirituality Jesus all of that but how how does how does that get handled in the religious portion of it I think is what I want to ask well see here's the thing um we had those two meetings with those churches and the way that they were talking it's like no I'm not partnering with you you don't get it and that's why we developed our own way of doing it. And someone had the nerves to tell me like, well, no one ordained you. I said, well, first of all, that ordination stuff means like you're trying to have a building and you go through all of this. But I was like, excuse me, Jesus ordained me. And if I really need ordination, my daddy is a pastor. He could just be like, girl, go do your thing. Thank you. you. But this is nothing to do with your structure and your boxed in ways of dealing with things. I'm not asking anyone's permission. I don't need anybody's permission. And I guarantee you, if we were looking to build membership, we would have a mega church bigger than anyone that we've ever seen because it would have people in there coming as they are. You say come as you are, Mm -hmm. but you don't mean it because when people are ostracized, talked about, judged and hurt, you as a leader don't do nothing. Well, that's just Mother Smith, turn the other cheek. I said, yeah, but the Bible says turn the other cheek. It's not plural. It don't mean my ass, my butt cheeks. It, It just one time. And after that, I have the right to stand for myself. And I said, you know what? Unconditional love doesn't mean unconditional disrespect. I can still love on you. Yes. I have the right to tell you that you have harmed me, that you have disrespected me. And that's where the church gets it wrong. They just want to forgive, forgive, forgive after you've been hurt, after you've been ostracized and judged. You're just supposed to overlook those things. No, I'm not. One thing that's occurring to me is that the, the 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 repair that they talk about in trauma is never really offered in church. Church typically glosses over something. Well, we're not going to talk about those things. Just follow the path and that's okay. But you're actually doing work, first of all, that is, is more religious than many of those churches as we just explored. Jesus type work, but also like, um, lost my train of thought. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, they, they play church too much. Like in the black churches, the ones I go to, they have nurses that have on the, the little white hats like you wear when you graduate from nursing school really? with the white uniforms. And I had some of my white friends come to church with me one time and they were like, oh, you have real nurses. I said, no, if you fall out, you're going to get a tissue and a sip of water. <laughs> they don't even know CPR. Like, I don't know why they do that. So don't even ask me. We play too much. Right. In right. the church. 
We play way too much. This thing is real. And I started to feel about the church like this is no different than me going to the bar. It's the same people just playing a different music. And so, and I get it. The church is the spiritual hospital for the sick. You go there, you get some motivation, you can get some prayer and stuff like that, as long as you fit in. Well, and that's the thing that it's taking the humanness out of God's creation. Like we're not supposed, like we, first of all, we're a God like already, but we also need to remember that there's a human component that really just doesn't, that is going to make mistakes, that is going to mess up, that does need to learn and grow and expand. And if you're not talking about all the bad stuff, why are you going to church? It has, what I call it is infotainment. You get a little bit of information and a whole lot of entertainment. When so I started tomatoes. going to church, it was nothing but an organ and a piano. And, and that's it. You would get the word. Um, my mother took us until she trusted a church enough for us to get on a Sunday school bus and she never came again. So little kid, she did not ask us to make us be baptized or whatever. And I asked her later on as an adult, like, mama, why did you do that? She said, because I don't like how these churches are. I'm from Deep Woods, Alabama, and churches were way different, even though my uncle Charlie was a pastor and beat my auntie when we got back home, you know, but I just wanted you to know the teachings of Jesus Christ outside of the Bible Mm -hmm. story book, which I still have my original Bible story book that my mother gave me. Wow. She said, I just wanted you to know. And I feel like religion is a choice. And maybe you would like some of the things that you see. And that's why she she took us to different denominations and everything that we visited, but we were little kids. And she said, I will never make you be baptized. That would be your choice and how you want to do it. And so I got baptized in seventh grade. I went to church with my girlfriend who was my neighbor down the street and I got baptized. But at that time I went down a um, dry center and came out a wet one, nothing changed. I wasn't truly born again until I knew what my calling was on this earth. And that's doing this harm reduction work. That is using my platform to stand in the gaps for people who cannot stand for themselves. That is using my voice to speak up against injustices and things that I don't feel are right. And so now I've been born again because I know who I am and I know my purpose in life. Um, But before that, I was went down a dry center and came out a wet one. Hallelujah, I guess, you know, because nothing changed about my life. I was still hitting my weed. Just saying, God, I don't know if this right or not, but uh, (laughs) I got to do my thing. This is who I am. But he knew that. He knew the path that I was going to take. He knew that I was going to date drug dealers. He knew that I was going to use substances. He knew that I was going to be raising my 10-year-old nephew that I have right now. He knew it all. If we believe that he knows all, then he knew that this path that he put me on Being born to a teenage mom and not seeing my father, that's why I can relate to these kids. Yes. I have a story to tell these kids. You can still be okay. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be healed 100%, but you can survive in this world through that drama and trauma. And I tell parents all the time when I talk to them, don't do what's best for you. Do what's best for your child. Then that I will praise. Yes. My mother did what was best for her and I'm not mad about it. Yep. I get it. She did what was best for her though. She should have did what was best for us or at a minimum, what was best for me. My child was, my father's not a molester or nothing like that. He's just a flirt. And she thought he was cheating. And at 17, that was a lot to deal with. And you're pregnant and you're in the civil rights movement. You're being called the N word. You're doing all of the stuff. You don't know if you're going to die one day to another, you know, I get it. And so she just fled to Inkster with her father, who was a construction worker, built a lot of buildings in the city of Detroit that I don't exactly know which one, but he was a masonry person. Wow. And so that's how we got to Michigan from my grandfather, who never was in my mother's life. But she said, if you want to do something for me and make repair of not being in my life, then help me get my daughter out of this situation. Mm. And that's how we came from the South to Inkster. 
Wow. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. One of the things about your story, my story, the children that we're talking about, harm reduction, one of the things that I noticed specifically where spirituality can help is that when you grow up in trauma, you don't, you don't have a good, I call it internal grounding. You are not tethered. You're not moored to anything. You are not, there's something that makes you different on the inside. And one of the things that I find incredibly useful about spirituality is that it's kind of like an installation or a a buffer, if you will. Like, like you said, we, we're going to continue to go through the same things. You may be addicted for another five years. Not the point. You have a connection to something greater now, which gives you by default more power in your life. And that not having to do things alone is why I'm so excited that you're going to bring this, um, you know, spiritual component to your harm reduction. Because if you feel like you've been thrown away by the world, why bother caring about yourself? And that, that's a really dark picture to paint, but why not bother? My inner rebel fuels me more than anything. If you don't want me to succeed, get the fuck out of my way and I will Mm -hmm. show you. And that's Mm -hmm. the same rebel. I want every harm, every person addicted to have, you have it. I have it, but it's a tool and it was given to us by our higher power. And so your higher power has done something to make things get out of your way like literally parted waters. I'm getting goosebumps. This is like literally parted waters for you. You are doing dangerous things. And by dangerous, I mean, respectability and public, um, there's risks that you take. Yeah. But like you said, I'm going to say what I need to say. And there's that insulation that, okay, yep, you can, you can harm me. You can harm my body, but I'm going to get my voice out and somebody's going to hear me. Absolutely. And it has been working. And, you know, I'm even shaping the program because with the HIV program, we haven't started testing yet because they want us to ask all of these questions. Excuse me, we're at the gas station. You just threw the whole HIPAA violation out of the window. You want me to ask all of these questions at the gas station? Are you kidding? So I'm like, you can just take this money back. I don't need it. And and we're good over here. Oh, no, no, no. Let's try to find a way to work together. You know why? Because we're getting to the people that they yep. need to get to because they're not going to step out of their cushy offices and hit that right. street. Right. And so yep. we're, we're there. We're not afraid of those people, but it hurts. We lost someone. We lost one of our participants. She died right in the place where she lived. She always was at the store. She would be high would get supplies and stuff like that and she overdosed right at the same store and that just breaks my heart but to say you know um anything other than I'm glad that we were there and able to meet with her and to talk to her love on her um and to be a part of her life I actually went to her funeral services I I met her mother um The mother didn't have the resources to really put the funeral together, but the community knew her daughter because she would be everywhere. So the community came together and paid for that home going service. And I asked the mother, could we pay for the repass and buy the food on behalf of my staff? And so um, she was put away nicely and she had a grand home going celebration because that's one thing about Inkster. It's nothing like that Inkster love. If you are really from that town, and you are known in that town, they're going to love on you and you're going to get what you need from the people. So that's why I'm glad to be home. Operating in Van Buren Township is going to be a little bit different. Ashley does a great job with that because she had already been doing her, her work her way. And so we don't necessarily just pull up at places out in Van Buren Township for you know obvious reasons, but we do have the authority to um, do the program and we're kind of looking at what that looks like that's why I want Belleville to put the ordinance on their books and then people can come to the clinic and get their supplies on designated days well, and so that's what that looks like yeah, and I think that every community needs a different type of intervention every individual needs a different type of intervention forcing somebody to jump through 20 fucking hoops to get help that probably is going to harm them in the end is not a solution to somebody's angst So you meeting somebody where they're at on the streets, boots on the ground, relationship to relationship, belonging, 
offering spirituality and by the way here's some resources to get you by like needles if you need them that like i just that's how it's always been done um which actually brings me up to the the book um we do this till we free us talks about like long-term activism and how you pace yourself so what is one thing that you do to keep yourself centered and grounded and not burnt out i intentionally take time for myself i only have one cell phone i don't have a personal cell phone and a work cell phone i do not answer calls after five o'clock me either Good um, for you. monday through thursday friday saturday and sunday is my time okay um i still have a family uh, my gentleman has a daughter who uh, is developmentally delayed okay. and then i also have my nephew, who's 10 years old, that I've been raising for the last five years. And so I intentionally take time for myself. My family knows when I go into my room, light my candle and close my door, that I am um, centering myself, doing mm -hmm. self-care. And I've even taught my little one self-care. He plays calming, relaxation music. He is he so smart, by the way. Oh, thank you. He's something else. He's He, he keeps me grounded, but... Also, I do, um, that's to recenter myself, but I'm a very outgoing person. So I definitely enjoy plays and theater and basketball games and things of that nature. So I do a lot of things like that as well. Awesome. But centering myself because I have anxiety, I do a lot of meditation. I know when I need a nap, even if that's throughout the day. Yep. You know, I take it. Good. I take the time that I need. I cut things off. I cut people off. I do a lot of pruning in my life. I love you that. Know, um, I have to do that in order to grow. Yep. Because if just like a plant, if you allow dead leaves to, to stay on it, it drains the life out of the rest of the plant, no matter how much you water it. Right. And so I do a lot of pruning. I have learned to agree to disagree. I have learned um, to forgive people, but still don't allow them to have access to me. You know, so all of those things are important and they count. I don't care what anyone thinks of me other than my gentleman, his daughter, and this little one that I have because we share space in the same house. Everyone else, they can think what they want to. It's fine. You can say and do whatever you want to do, but what I do about it is my decision. Yeah. And they don't live your life. And I live my life. Yeah. Oh my God. So you're such a powerhouse. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. You do amazing work locally. You have not stopped your entire career. What is maybe one or two things that you want people to take away from this about either harm reduction or services for children or anything that we've talked about? As far as the children, are concerned, they did not ask to be here. Um, if you don't have children already, I think the most important thing you could do is be very intentional about who you sleep with because a baby could be born out of that union. Yeah. Be, be very intentional about who you marry because as a result of those things, they have impact on the little ones that come into this world. And if you cannot do that, communication is key with the little ones. Each one of us have to reach one. And there's certain things you won't be able to do for your kids, but the village concept, yep. have them engage with someone who can help them. Yeah, It's amen. so important. And as far as harm reduction, people shouldn't die because they get high. Thank you. You practice harm reduction every day when you put a seatbelt on, when you get in your car. You're yes, not going to you just do. ram your car into a building. You put the seatbelt on in case you get into an accident. And, you know, those of you that have high blood pressure, you take that pill every day, but you still eat a piece of bacon or a pork chop every now and then because, you know, the pill is in there to help regulate so that you don't do something that's life threatening. Harm reduction is the same thing, and we practice it every day. 
Yes. So don't judge until you have educated yourself. And then if you still make an informed decision that you are not for it, that's fine. But to do something blindly, to judge blindly, and if addiction hasn't touched your family in any way through alcoholism, through sex, through shopping, there are many, many types of addiction. Consider yourself blessed. But I can't yes. say that. I have all types of addictions running through my veins. Yep. And yeah. As a result of that, I am glad to be the one to understand what I could have been. Yeah, right. They're great examples. If I think if I, um, you know, I grew up obviously in a different uh, rural town, but if I would have had a program like yours growing up, um, perhaps somebody would have alerted me to the fact that my aces were an eight. And that would have made sense for some of the decisions that I have made in my life. Because when you, when you don't know the baggage that you come with, you think you, you think you did something wrong. And so it's not, listen, we didn't ask for these things. You did what you needed to do with your life to get, again, you had a calling. I have a calling. We, we can give back because we have the capacity to give back, but many people don't have the capacity to survive the day without a substance. Most of us drink coffee. Thank you. For, that's all I'm going to say. Black, strong black coffee, yes. right? Like yes. that is, so it's that simple. It, harm reduction is simply an, an intervention that keeps people alive. But I, I could talk to you for hours. Um, I, I'm really grateful you came on here. I love the work that you do. You're always doing something in different areas of this community. You don't stay silent. And you are somebody that I um, consider one of my sheroes that's local, um, but it's, uh, it's refreshing. It's, I, I'm grateful. And these are the stories that don't get talked about. Um, you know, when you're driving through downtown Belleville and they have this new, uh, God bless them, that new buildings that they just put up with all of those fancy new shops and stuff that don't really serve the needs of the greater community, shall we say? Um, and so th this is, this is where I live, you know, Jesus, I'd rather be like that than in a church that doesn't support keeping people alive. And I just want that message to get out there. And, and I shouted to the Hills. We did a presentation at the substance use conference last year called don't let the hearse take them to church, you know, don't and let the hearse what? take them to church. Okay. Oh, meaning they should be able to come in here and it's about yes. harm reduction. It's about faith and harm reduction. And we had a standing ovation. People were crying out and praying in our session and stuff like that. So I'm going to submit to do that presentation again. Don't let the hearse take them to church Please faith do. and harm reduction because um, something has to change. Politically, if we change that one thing about churches in this country, I think we'd have a whole different future for our country. Well, it'll be easy. See, churches got messed up when they got that 501c3 designation and the government started putting money into them. Then they changed what they could stand for, right? Because you don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. But I feel like if a church isn't doing things that a 501c3 should be doing, that they should lose that designation and no longer be able to operate. That would stop yeah. a lot of this. Yeah. Oh, my God. I have you in my thoughts quite often. Thank you for the work that you do. Keep doing it. Don't, I'm not going to tell you, but don't let anybody tell you stop because you're just, you're, you're going to truck on through. Like, it's awesome. Um, I want you back on this podcast and I want to thank you. So the SOAR, um, stop. Oh, I'm so sorry. Strategies um, to overcome obstacles and avoid recidivism. Thank you. All I know is it's related to kids and that's how I like, but, but we don't want them getting into harm's way. And then the, the movie is, um, I thought a I wrote sick it down. Church Can't Save a Dying World. A Sick Church Can't Save a Dying World. And stay tuned because I'm going to be doing a virtual um, hosting of that uh, whenever Valerie and I talk about it. Um, I'll have you back on later. Thank you so much. Any closing thoughts? The admiration is mutual. I love you so much. You are my sister. You are my friend. I love your boldness and what you stand for. And I know that we were connected for a reason. And, and throughout this journey that I'm on, I know that we're going to be able to do some great work together. But thank you 
for having me on and sharing your platform today. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You'll be on again. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All righty. So long. Welcome to Cloud of Compass Podcast. This is Lori Smith, your host. You want to know more about me? Do you want to work with me? Do you like what I have to say? Um, do you want to write me hate mail? Check me out on social media. I'm at Cloud of Compass 2021 on TikTok and Cloud of Compass 2021 on Instagram. I started this podcast because I wanted to share my knowledge, skills, and experience as an LMSW of 20 years. I am a survivor of help that harmed. I have had mental health issues. My ACEs score is high. I've had a history of trauma, but I also have some professional skills, knowledge, and experience that you might benefit from. I have been a certified diabetes educator for 10 years. I have worked in um, doctor's offices as a care manager with chronic health issues. I am certified. um, I'm a certified anxiety treatment provider, certified um, trauma provider. Certified in compassion fatigue, addiction informed mental health, and most recently a human rights consultant. I am the author of the book Life Hacks with Life Hacks Tips and Tricks for Accessing Your Inner Resilience. I am the owner of Resilience Coach, which is an outpatient behavioral health therapy. And most recently, I am the owner of Cloud of Compass Coaching Consulting, um, which is part of this podcast. I have courses in um, recovery-oriented material, uh, neurodivergent um, information coming in. So I have courses, I have webinars, I have um, guests on my podcast, I have merchandise coming out soon. I have a link tree on my social media where you can access all of these things. I'd love for you to learn more about me. Love to you to for you to see if we are a good fit for working together. And in the month of December, I am hosting a half-off special of my of my signature course um, because I want to share this information with the world. It is a six-week course with 12 sessions, um, 12 videos of me. Um, again, I'm a little neurodivergent, so it's a little, um, it's not what you're going to expect from a course on transformation, but it is useful information. It is what I have found practical in my practice. It has the 12 video sessions, but it also has 200 page workbook of tools for self-regulation. And we teach how to uncover your own innate skill set. This is why I called my company Clouded Compass, because there are things that we have not been pointed towards. And once we align with our internal assets, our life becomes um, a little bit uh, uh, um, we become empowered, period. So check me out. Check me out on all my social media. Please leave comments. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear you, um, see you join my course. And please leave comments about the podcast too. I'd love to know what your favorite um, podcasts are, which ones you think really suck. And let's build community together. Let's educate, empower, and evolve. And let's uncover your own innate assets. Stay tuned.